You just go on. Go on ahead. <laughs> uh, feel free to interrupt at any time. That's fine. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 19. Would you stand with me, please? If you're physically able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Acts 19, beginning in verse 1. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus, on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. And Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people who, to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about twelve men in all. Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the, <clears throat> for the next three months. <coughs> Excuse me. Arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Greeks and Jews, heard the word of the Lord. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin, were placed on sick people. They were healed of their diseases, and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, the leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. The story of what happened spread quickly all throughout Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended upon the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them in a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Afterward, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go on to Rome. He sent his two assistants, Timothy and Erastus, ahead to Macedonia. 
while he stayed a while longer in the province of Asia. Let us pray. Father God, we pray you take uh, the reading and proclamation of your word and by your spirit's power, make it fruitful. We are reminded that Jesus said, he's the vine and we're the branches and we can do nothing without him. And so, Father, we ask, Lord, now that the spirit of Jesus would work among us to make us more like him. And it's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. Thank you. As I was reading Acts chapter 19, I had a little 80s flashback going on through my mind. As I read several parts, several passages of the scripture, it's, it's not really a passage that you hear preached or talked about an awful lot. There are several interesting um, happenings. Paul first finds a group of believers who weren't really quite yet believers. I mean, they were disciples and they were disciples of John. Uh, they had heard John's message about repent because a Messiah is coming. And perhaps they had even heard Jesus is that Messiah. But they really hadn't gotten the whole deal yet. <laughs> they hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Paul says, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? They're like, say what? <laughs> Holy Spirit, what is that? We haven't even heard there is such a thing. Paul goes on to explain to them, and then they are baptized, a Christian baptism. They had been baptized, uh, a, a baptism of, of repentance by John, but then they were baptized, a Christian baptism, baptized in the, the name of Jesus. Uh, and then Paul lays hands on them, and they speak in tongues, as is shown in different places and times throughout the book of Acts uh, as a sign of, uh, uh, of, of proof that the Holy Spirit has come upon a, a group of people. Uh, we do not see that happen every time uh, by any means, but we do see it happen several times throughout the book of Acts. Most of you know that uh, I was uh, brought up Baptist, and while Baptist may have uh, uh, many uh, or at least a few differences from different types of of um, Presbyterians, including Cumberland Presbyterians. Uh, one thing we're quite alike on is Baptists and Cumberland Presbyterians alike are a little bit uncomfortable. We get a little bit nervous when we start reading passages of Scripture about things like speaking in tongues because it just, you know, this doesn't fit with our dignity or decorum or with our uh, thought process of the way things usually are or supposed to be. I remember um, as, uh, as a teenager, growing up in the 80s as a child and a teenager, um, there was a Baptist church on the coast. I won't name the church, but this church was kind of notorious among other Baptists. We didn't worry too much about uh, other denominations. We weren't sure about them, where they were going, how they were going to do. But, you know, we were Baptists. We kind of had it together, so we thought. But there was a particular Baptist church that we were told had gone charismatic. Uh, 
And uh, this, this really, you know, you, you didn't know exactly what that meant because in that day, gone charismatic might mean you say amen too loud or you might have raised your hand accidentally or something. But no, they, they were actually, there was, I think, some speaking in tongues and some different things. And, and you know, that kind of made other Baptists very uncomfortable and nervous about that whole situation. You know, we kind of thought it was like a contagion that we might catch if we got cl- too close to that group of Baptists. And I remember later on, um, after a few years, their pastor ended up in a really big scandal. I mean, a, a big-time scandal, drug-running scandal. And um, it was kind of this relief, I think, that came among others so they could say, yeah, we knew that all that stuff wasn't real because, see, look at that guy and look what happened to him. Now, we never thought about the, uh, the Baptists that looked just like us, acted like us, believed just like us. When there was a scandal, well, oh, that's a bad guy, right? We didn't automatically discount everything that that person had ever said or preached before. But that seemed to be the general tone of things when, when he had his fall. He'd gotten into some very unsavory things. And so, yeah, all of that stuff, everything that's ever happened at that church, is, it, it's just not real at all. And then the next thing that kind of triggered a flashback for me was when it talks about Paul. He goes on, he preaches, and and he's, he's not run out of town like a lot of places. He's run out of town in a week or two or three. But he gets to preach and, and, and minister for a long time. But he does get run out of the synagogue after a few months. And he sets up uh, in, a, in a different place, uh, the school of Tyrannus. I was doing background on the city uh, of, of Ephesians and of Ephesus, excuse me. And uh, the Ephesians, you know, kind of like the, the, the modern-day uh, idea of a siesta uh, among Mexicans, well, they had this idea that everything closed down at 11 o'clock. They called it the fifth hour because their day began at 6 a.m. in the morning. You worked hard, you did whatever, and then at 11 o'clock, you shut it down, and nothing was going to happen for a while after that. Everybody was going to take naps or rest or whatever, and then some, some other things uh, might start back up again later. In fact, one of the writers, uh, uh, ancient sources we have, said that more Ephesians were awake at 1 a.m. than at 1 p.m., okay? So this is the kind of people they were. They liked that nap. So Paul was able to enter into this school and teach there every day because they ended up closing that school down at 11, and he would be able to come in and, and teach others about Jesus for the rest of the day. But then the Bible tells us that God granted Paul the ability to do some unusual miracles. Now, isn't that a little bit of overkill there? I mean, isn't a, a, a miracle by definition unusual? It's something we say this isn't in ordinary, this isn't natural, this is supernatural, it's different. But yet Paul here, or Luke, uh, categorizes these miracles that... Uh, God is doing through Paul at the time as unusual miracles. So these are not your garden variety miracles. These are uh, different, greater miracles or more unusual miracles. And one of these miracles was that people would simply, um, they would have a handkerchief or a towel and it would touch Paul. And that handkerchief or towel would be taken and then it would be, 
um, brought to a sick person and they would be healed or uh, even to a demon-possessed person and that demon would be cast out. Of course, many of you will remember the, the, the heyday of the televangelist and uh, many of them had their great fall. But of course, there was one in particular that liked to invite people uh, to with when they sent in their donation to send in a handkerchief, right? And, and th- he would pray over it, and you'd get it back and, and, and get a miracle. A- and, of course, as many others were, this man was discredited. And, uh, again, for many, the idea was, see, all those people who are into anything miraculous or anything like that, they're just there for, they're all there for show. They're all fake. They're all wrong. Then there is a a story about a group of Jews uh, traveling from town to town casting out demons. Uh, Then this is very interesting. Apparently there were different groups of people, different traveling Jewish ministers. They were not Christian ministers. Uh, They were still, they were Jews, but they acknowledged this existence of demon possession, and they were going and they were casting out demons. And and uh, apparently they liked to pick up on new tricks of the trade anytime they could. And, and they heard that, hey, there's some Christians out there. And they are casting out demons. And so if they're doing it in the name of Jesus, and especially this guy Paul, he's doing it in the name of Jesus, then why don't we jump on that train too? And so these seven sons of Siva, who is a, this, this highly respected, well-placed priest they were traveling around doing this and they meet upon one demon possessed man and they say to him uh, the Paul the Jesus who Paul preaches in his name we command you to come out and the demon responds and I just can imagine at some point when he's talking they they start to lose control of their functions as they realize this isn't happening Uh, We're not in control here. He says, I know Paul and I know Jesus, but I don't know you. And the Bible says this one man who's demon-possessed whips these seven men so badly that they run out of the house. They are naked and battered. And this becomes known to the whole whole area around. And uh, the Bible says great fear falls upon the local church. And not just the church, though, the whole community, believers and unbelievers alike, as they realize that the name of Jesus is not just some uh, tool to be used in our incantation. Jesus is not hocus-pocus, and we uh, call out his name and make him or force him to do what we want him to do. But the name of Jesus is the highest name of all, and it is to be uttered by those who call on his name in faith and in truth, in worship. And so when this fear, this reverence falls upon the whole area, people began to turn to God, come to him. People began to confess their faith in Jesus Christ, and they began to confess the sins that they have committed and they begin to get rid of these little idolatrous items they had. 
The Bible says they had a, a bonfire. It says that the value of what they got rid of, they burned in this bonfire, it was about 50,000 silver pieces. Today we're talking four to five million dollars worth of stuff. Now what was this stuff that they brought, these books or these writings? What, what was this? Ephesus... We tend to think about it as a good town because we don't hear about, we hear, you know, the good letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians and, and, and we don't hear a lot of the bad stuff so much like we did about the Corinthians and the letter he wrote to the Corinthians. And, and it's pretty widely known that that city of Corinth that we've just been talking about recently, that it was a, 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 just a wild port city and there was uh, prostitution and all sorts of sordid uh, stuff going on there. But what a lot of people don't realize is that Ephesus had, was its, uh, its very own center of evil, just in a different direction. And that evil centered there uh, was not on uh, prostitution or sexual sin, uh, but it was witchcraft. It was sorcery. The people in that day in the town... They made their living by producing these little pieces of paper, little strips written on them. And, and, and uh, they might have been kind of like a little fortune cookie or something. But they had these little strips of paper and people believed that these were uh, demonic and they had spiritual power and they would pay big money to have these things. And so many of the people in this town would take these items that had pro been produced and offered to demons and to false gods. And they would wear them on their clothing. They would place them in their house. Uh, they, they would do whatever to use these things as good luck charms. To me, this was very similar to uh, several years ago when I went to Thailand. I walked around the city uh, where I was and and noticed all the differences. And after a while, I'm not super observant, but after a while... I noticed there's beautiful birdhouses everywhere, right? That's what it seemed like, beautiful birdhouses. And I asked someone, I said, why do they have these amazing birdhouses all over? And they said, oh, no, those aren't birdhouses. They're spirit houses. Because of the religious belief uh, in that country, they believe that if they build a building of any type on the property, they disturb the ground that belongs to the spirits, and so they must build a house for those spirits. The people in Ephesus were caught up in a very similar type uh, of fear, of control uh, by demonic and spiritual forces in that area. So much so that if you referred to an Ephesian writing, you were talking about one of these little pieces of paper that was supposed to manipulate the supernatural and protect you. And those folks, after they came into a reverent fear of the Lord, after they realized God's power and He was not to be messed with, played with, but His power was greater and they came to the Lord and they confessed their sins and they threw all these things into a fire. And of course, I had another 80s flashback there. 
because there was, at least among conservative Baptist youth groups in the 1980s, you would bring your rock music cassette tapes because you knew that they were very evil. And if you weren't sure that they were, you said, well, if you play it backwards, then, then it's really bad. There is a backwards masking, was I remember the term, and there was, a, there was an evil message, a satanic message that was played. So I was told, if you were to reverse that tape, I never figured out how to play my tapes backward. My recorder wouldn't do that. I don't know if any of y'all's would, but I remember... Um, going to one time in my youth group experience a bonfire where we threw those cassette tapes on the fire or those records a few folks had and, and burning those up. Well, I, I don't know whether or not there really ever was backwards masking and reverse messages, but the reality is, though, um, there are oftentimes messages that are very clear in the things that we take in in our lives that are anti-God, that are opposed to everything that is of God. And while we might look back at that particular era of a certain group of, of evangelical youth groups, and we might smile and giggle and say that was funny, but the reality is, just as God is every bit as real today as He ever was, the Bible says Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The reality is also is that Satan is still every bit as real as he ever was. The Bible says that we are to be sober-minded, we are to be aware, because the, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's on the hunt. He's on the prowl. Who does he grab? Who does he hunt down and take down and devour? He devours those who are unaware. He devours those who don't realize that there is a spiritual reality that you and I live in. It's not that we have to have this fear of Satan. The Bible clearly tells us, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So we don't have to go around cowering Satan, fearing him, but we need to acknowledge him and realize that without God, without his power, presence, and leading in my life, there is a force out there that is stronger than me and can take me down anytime he wants. But God is greater. And so I need to remain connected to God. I need to be in tune with God. I need to acknowledge, hey, there's an enemy but the Lord, my shepherd, he's with me in the presence of my enemies. His rod and his staff comfort me. God is leading me. If I wander away from the shepherd, I'm in trouble. If I stay close to him, I'm not. Why don't we talk a whole lot about passages like Acts 19? I think it makes us a little uncomfortable sometimes. I think we'd rather pretend that we live in a world where everything is everything that really exists is the things that we can see with our human eyes. And if we can't see it with the physical eye, then it's not really there. We'd like to believe that. 
But that's not reality. I'm not saying that Acts 19 is normative, that every single church ought to have happened the things that happen in this chapter. Certainly not. But what I am saying is that we serve a God who is alive and who is powerful. And even though there is an evil one who is out there, what, is the, what does Jesus say? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan is out there working his best to ruin our lives. But we realize greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We realize that there is a reality, a warfare around us. But you and I need to acknowledge that. And we need to serve God, not like we're playing around. But what we are in a battle, a spiritual battle. It's no coincidence that Paul talks about the armor of God, not in his uh, message to the Philippians or the two letters to the Corinthians or any of his other letters, but it is in Ephesians that Paul talks about the armor of God that we must put on because he knew that the people in the city of Ephesus realized we're not at play we're not at rest. We're soldiers in God's army. We're fighting a spiritual battle. And if we're going to fight that battle, we need to gear up. We need to receive strength from the one who's greater than the one who's in this world. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I come to you. And Lord, I acknowledge that far too often... Far too often, God, I live my life in a way that, that doesn't acknowledge what's really going on. Sometimes, Lord, I act like I'm all-sufficient, like, like I don't need you except for when I happen to fall into a hole. And then I cry out and you lift me up and, and then I'm okay by myself for a while. So I think or so I act. But God, the reality is I need you every hour of every day. I need you. God, we all do. We face an enemy who is out to destroy us, to steal, kill, and destroy. He's out to devour and consume us. He's out to rob us of all of our joy. And yet, Lord, rather than fear Satan, you called upon us to reverence your holy name, to worship you because you're greater, because you're higher, because you love us. God, you are always there for us. God, help us to keep this reality in our minds. Lord, help us to resist trying to put you in a box, trying to contain you. Uh, Father, break us out of the molds that we're in where we think that we can only dictate the way you will work in our life. We miss so many blessings, God, because of our lack of faith. And God, remind us that your name is not 
some sort of hocus-pocus incantation. We say your name and we force you to do what we want. Lord, we need to acknowledge your will is what matters. Father, help us if we have carried, if we have harbored sin in our hearts. God, if we have held on to worldly things that drag us down, that weigh us down, that allow the influence of evil into our lives, convict us. Help us to come and to repent and to turn from those things and to put our eyes completely fixed on Jesus. God, we pray and we ask all those things. In Jesus' precious name, amen.